The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. We'll be reading from 1 John chapter 1, the first four verses. So if you have your Bible, um, follow along with us uh, as the scripture is read or follow along in the back on the screen. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is God's word. Well, here's what we've been addressing the last few weeks in our Advent series at Holy Cross. We've been addressing this. If we understand Christmas, we will understand the true cause and expression of our joy. We have joy that has a cause and expression. There's a reason for it, and it's lived out in a life of faithfulness and expression. We have said because Jesus is great, we don't have to be in control. Because Jesus is God, we can have real relationship with him and so on. And today's passage doesn't initially appear to be a Christmas passage. It's not one of those, those passages you might read at Christmas time of the, the incarnation and the birth of Christ, the story of the birth of Christ, or the events around the birth of Christ that we're so used to hearing this time of year. Um, but it is a Christmas story. And here, John, uh, the, the writer of this, is wanting us not to know the, the details of the events of the Christmas story, but he's wanting to explain to us the meaning of, of, of the Christmas story. Why has, has it happened? And what is its significance? And so here's what we're going to talk about today. That Jesus is eternal life so we can have joy now and forever. Pretty simple. Jesus is eternal life so we can have joy now and forever. Let's break it down like we've done in weeks past as we look through this passage. First, Jesus is eternal life. Uh, the Apostle John wrote 1 John. Uh, he also wrote the Gospel of John. Um, and where we read passages that are so famous, like John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And in fact, several other places through 1 John uh, and, and the other letters that he wrote, the Gospel of John, we see that John is so concerned with telling us why Jesus came why he came. He wants us to understand the, the meaning and significance, and he takes special interest in the incarnation, that Jesus was born, and he was born to take away the sins of, of us and give us eternal life. But here, the relationship between Jesus and eternal life is a little strange. It gives us a little pause if we read it. Read it again and read it over and over again, and you'll see something interesting about it. He is not saying that Jesus comes and he comes to give us eternal life. He doesn't say that Jesus has eternal life with him. He doesn't say that Jesus gives you eternal life. He says something pretty strange. He says Jesus is eternal life. He talks about eternal life as, as a he. He personifies eternal life as if to say to have Christ is to have eternal life. Here, the word of life, eternal life itself, is Jesus. It's, he is a person who has come to us. And what's the difference? I mean, what's the important difference by saying, well, Jesus comes with eternal life to give you eternal life, or Jesus is himself eternal life? What's the significance and difference there? Well, it's the difference between understanding what our role is 
in achieving eternal life. Really, it's the difference between salvation by something that God gives to us or salvation by something that we acquire on our own. Think of a coworker, your favorite friend in the office. You think your favorite friend in Christmas time or, or birthdays or other occasions comes into the office and you're glad to see him or her. And he comes into the room, he says, good news, I got cake today. I brought cake for us. And you're excited because you, you, you have a very good friend and he has brought some desserts. And you know because of your relationship with this person, he's probably going to tell you where the cake can be found. It's going to be in the conference room or he's going to maybe even bring it to your desk. And you know that he's going to share some with you uh, because you are very close. But there's a lot of things you have to do. You have to finish your work before you go to the conference room. You have to find your own fork if you want this cake. Uh, so you're, still, you're glad that he brought cake, but there's still so much that has to be done. Your relationship with this friend gets you so far into having this cake. Now consider another scenario, number two. This time your friend walks into the office and says, Good news, I'm here and I am cake. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> if you stick with me for a second, I'm going to flesh this out. Okay. Where is he going with this? All you have to do to have cake is to have him, to be friends with him, to be united with him, to know him, to be united in friendship, to believe that he is who he says he is, and you will have cake. So, yeah, I know it's funny. It, it doesn't make any sense other than this, is that there's, there's a difference, to, and it's a significant difference for how we relate to this good news that has come to us. It isn't that Jesus stands at the door and opens the door and says, eternal life is in there. And if you can get up and if you can walk it through there and if you can discern how to apply it to your life, then you can have it. He comes and he says, I am eternal life. To have me is to have eternal life. He even says that, that I am eternal life. People say, well, how do, how do we know eternal life? His disciples questioned him as well and said, how do we get eternal life? And he says, don't you know? This is eternal life, to know the one true God and the son he has sent, to know me to believe in me, to have me, to unite to Jesus by faith, to know him in love, and to believe that he is who he says he is, is to have this life, period. To have him is to have the fullness of God's blessing with, with no deviation in measure. To have him is to have the riches of all that he is and all that he has promised to give. And this is exactly what John is so excited to tell us. He isn't excited because he has said, good news, Jesus has come and he's, come, he's brought some great gifts. And if you can find him and if you can search him out, then you will have this as well. He says, I, Jesus has not come to inspire us to, into better lives, but he has come to make us truly live to be united with him and the Father in an unbreakable communion that gives the fullness of joy forever. John is meaning to tell us why we exist at all. The very reason and cause and substance of our existence is to know God and to have life, to have it to the full. John tells us again in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, he says the the thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy, but I, may, I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. John loves telling us why Jesus has come, and the reason is so that we would have life, eternal life in Christ. 
And the source of our life and the basis of our life is not in what we have done or what we can do, but it's in Jesus himself. And John is saying, I'm so excited because I have met him. I have touched him with my own hands. I have seen him with my own eyes. I have heard him with my own ears. And I have, and I have believed in him. That which was from the beginning, eternity past, eternal life, life that does not fade, life that is eternal, life that is full, is a person. I have met him, and I have talked with him, and I have believed him. And I'm so excited to tell you that you can have the same if you have Jesus. He's so excited about, why is John so emphatic about his interactions with Jesus? It's almost like we would read this and say, big deal, John, a lot of people have met Jesus. A lot of people have seen and heard and touched him. He is so emphatic. I've heard him, I've seen him, I've touched him. Why can't you just say, I know Jesus? Well, he's saying something here for us. What John is saying is this, the story of Christmas is not just a nice story of something nice that God has done for us that we need to take hold of. The story of Christmas really means that anyone who is united to Jesus in faith has eternal life. The story of Christmas is meant to be told with a starting point that does not begin at the manger, but goes actually way beyond the manger, way back, way back before the manger even goes way back before the prophets of the Old Testament that taught and spoke of his coming into the world. To truly grasp the meaning of Christmas, of the Christmas story, we must picture the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in deep, intimate, multidimensional communion with one another. To understand what Christmas really means, we need to see God before time existing in the in multidimensional, intimate relationship with one another, no fear, no worry, no sorrow, no lack of joy at all in this relationship. And then we need to see ourselves being created for the very purpose of joining with them in relationship with them in the same kind of fullness, the same kind of joy, the same kind of, 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 of no sorrow, the same kind of fullness and intimate multidimensional relationship. So if you want to understand the Christmas story, we must go back beyond the manger and we must see God before time existing in perfect relationship within the Godhead. And then we need to see us being created for the very purpose of knowing him. And that's what John is so excited about. And that's why he says, that which was from the beginning. Hey, John, tell us about Jesus. That which was from the beginning. Well, no, I just want to learn about the Jesus story, like the little baby in the manger. Tell us about that before time began. Why are you talking about that? Because if you want to understand the significance of why Jesus came, you need to see the joy that was with God in heaven before anything was created. And then you need to see it was for this purpose we were created, to have this life with him. i got to be honest with you. It's week four of Advent. And at this point, I'm, I'm actually, I'm fresh out of material. I've re I've, now, I will have tomorrow night for Christmas Eve, and I've, I've already written that sermon, and it's already done. But including that, I have nothing else to say. I have nothing new. My wife even looks at this this week. She's like, how's your sermon going? I was like, it's going good. She's like, how do you say the same thing like, over and over again? That's why Advent's only four Sundays, is because five is too many. You can't, there, there's... Now, you don't even know it, but I'm actually just teaching you the same stuff that I taught last year, and no one even remembers. See, it's, it's the same thing. No, that's not true. 
Every China, trying to take a fresh look, trying to take a, a, new, a new slant on it, trying to take a new angle and see something beautiful and fresh in it. How do you come up with some fresh take on the Advent story that God was born to save us? And here's something really neat, okay? John says we don't need to. How do you come up with something fresh and something new? John says we don't need to. John says, I'm going to tell you the Advent story. I'm going to tell you why you're created. I'm going to talk about the incarnation. And I'm just going to tell you something that has been old, older than time itself, and as old as God itself, it is in fact eternal. I don't have to tell you something fresh and something new. I don't need to think of some really enticing, creative way to tell you that God has come to save us, to give us life. And that's what John is saying too. He says, let's not get caught up in new ways to do something. Let's just be reminded of what is of old. Let's be reminded of what God has done. The truths that have been hidden in heaven before time itself. That which was from the beginning has made been made manifest to us. It has been made known to us. And I heard it, heard him, and I saw him, and I touched him. Eternity has come in a person. And to have Jesus is to have the fullness of life and have life everlasting. John says we don't need to think of a new way to remember Christmas. We just need to be reminded of what has always been. And so we should not be afraid to to be reminded of something that seems just something we heard last year, something we heard the year before. In fact, I aim to tell you the same thing actually every Sunday, that God is holy, that we have sinned, that Jesus saves us, that he blesses us to be a blessing. Man and woman were created and lived in harmony and pure love and joy and peace with God from the, in the beginning when, when they were created, but they did not trust God. They didn't trust in his good news. They didn't trust in his love and provision. And for the first time, they believed a story that was a contradiction of God's loving story, and they believed a lie. And as a result of Adam and Eve believing a lie, Sin entered into the world and brought death and destruction. It brought guilt and shame. The good harmony that Adam and Eve experienced with God at, at creation was broken. The good harmony they experienced with one another was broken. The good harmony they experienced with creation was broken. It brought relational death and physical death. And it brought spiritual death and emotional death. And thankfully, the story doesn't end there in Genesis 3, but God comes into the story and he promises salvation. He says, one day I will come and I will, I will fix this. I will, I will make all the weeping go away. I will crush and defeat death and sin itself. I will restore full joy to you. Even as man and woman were being informed of the pain that was about to come and the result of their sin, God was informing them of a rescue and the rescue would come from the seed of woman, and the seed of woman would rise up and crush Satan and death itself. Adam and Eve failed. They failed miserably to believe this story. And generations after them, person after person, would fail too, and you and I would fail. And you and I uh, are here today as failures in the sense of, of remembering God's story and trusting Him and following Him. We have fallen short of that. But God's plan did not fail. He would remain faithful, and through his promised Savior, the world would be blessed, and the curse of sin would be broken. And Jesus is that Savior. That which was from the beginning has been made known to us. 
that which was promised in the garden has been, has been fulfilled and made known to us. Jesus has come. And Jesus came as a true and better Adam who would not fail. And Jesus is God's redemptive plan. He always was, even before the creation of the world. Jesus was God's plan A. Jesus was God's redemption plan. That's what John is saying. That which was from the beginning has made himself known to us. And we can have him and hear him and we can have relationship with him. We can have this fullness of relationship and communion just as Jesus has with God the Father. What an amazing thing. And Jesus overcame death and was given new life. And all those who believe in Jesus' life and death and resurrection go from having Adam as their source of life to having Jesus as their source of life. It's through Jesus' new life and the resurrection that we experience new life. It's through this, His Spirit that we have the power to live entirely new and different life. Everything changes because Jesus has been made known to us and He, has, he is eternal life that has come to us. And don't you see, this is the Christmas story, but this is the story of the gospel. This is the good news that God has come to us and made himself known. So now you see why John is so excited. That's why you see the Christmas story goes beyond the manger. It's not just about a baby being born to, to open the door to salvation. You see that it is God himself coming to rescue us. That is why he was born, that is why he lived, and that's why he died. That's why we were created, is to have this fellowship with him. And he stopped at nothing. Even death itself could not stop him. He stopped at nothing and nothing could stop him to secure that life for us. This is what John's so excited about, that God is not some distant king, creator, who is just barking orders at us. Do you think that God is that way? Is that the view that you have of God in heaven, that he sits in heaven and he's just barking orders at you? Do this, don't do that, be a better person, get your act together. Look at all that I have done for you. Don't you feel even a little bit of guilt for the person you are? But John says that he's not a distant king barking orders at us, but God is with us. He has come to give us life with him, it's just, and it's the very purpose of our existence. John wants us to know about Christmas. He wants us to know about Christmas. Why? Why should we want to know about Christmas? Well, John makes that also clear, so that we would have joy, so that we would have unshakable fullness lasting joy that lasts throughout the year, that fills our hearts in the fullness and the deepest part of our soul. It's joy. And so let's look at that next part, that Jesus is eternal life so that we would have joy now and forever. John closes with his introduction in, this, in 1 John by saying, I'm not going, <laughs> I love this, he says, I'm not going to shut up about this until you are as happy as I am about this. That's what he says. I'm, I'm going to keep talking about it until you understand why I'm so happy with what I have. I am going to keep telling you about it. I am so glad about the eternal life that I have in God, and I will not rest until you are as happy about it. Do you know anyone like this? And not just about Jesus. Do you know anybody like this about food or anything? Oh, my goodness, this chicken is so good you have to taste it. No, it's okay. No, just taste a little bit. No, it's really fine. Just have some. No, just taste it. You're gonna, it's going to change your life. If I wanted it, I would have ordered it, right? Do you know anybody like that? If you're thinking, I don't know anybody like that. Well, you're that person then, okay? So stop doing that. This is so good. I just will not shut up until you know how good this is. 
That's a good friend, actually. We should be thankful for those kinds of people in our life. They, they are, they're filled with joy. And they will not rest until you understand why they're so happy. Wow, would we be these kinds of people for Jesus? Would we be these kinds of people filled with the joy of Christmas that we joyfully just will not shut up about it until the people in our life that God has placed in our life understand this joy as much as we do? We would all be so fortunate to have someone like John in our life. What a good friend. I will not be happy until you have the same joy as we have about eternal life that we have in Jesus. Joy has been the theme of our entire Advent series. It's happiness, of course. It's happiness in a way, but it's not the kind of happiness that comes as a result of our circumstances. It's not, the re- it's not the kind of happiness that comes and goes as a result of what's going on in our life. So what is it? Well, let me tell you first what, what joy is not. It is not an antonym for suffering. It is not an antonym for suffering. It is not the opposite of suffering. We think about joy in these terms. We think about joy often incorrectly. We think that we can have suffering or joy. It's not possible that we can have both. Christ tells us that we can have both. The Apostle Paul tells us that we can have both. John tells us that we can have both. The Gospel writers, the, 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 the memory of, and the writings of the early church shows us that we can and must and will have joy and suffering if we are in Christ. We think we only have a chance then for reclaiming joy if the suffering and grieving in our life recedes. Joy will come when my suffering is no more. And that is to think of biblical joy incorrectly. So we try as hard as we can to not encounter suffering in our life. We try as hard as we can to remove suffering. And it's not bad and not wrong to try to remove suffering in our life. But if we try to remove it so that joy may come in, we're misunderstanding the fullness of joy that Christ has come to bring us. In fact, this was the curse of the, 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 the lack of presence of joy and suffering simultaneous was the curse it was a result of the curse in, in C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia in the, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe in the form of it being winter but never Christmas. That was a curse on Narnia, was that it was always winter and never Christmas. Always suffering, always cold, always pain, always bitter to the bone, and never Christmas. That's really the only thing, the good thing about the season in most parts of the country. The only blessing of Christmas is, is that it comes in the midst of a, of a very cold time. Well, at least it's Christmas as people are scraping the ice off their windshields, you know. But what if it was just winter? What if it was just the pain of winter and no Christmas? A lot of Christians live like that. A lot of Christians experience the grief and the suffering and the pain of living. And they say, if only these things were taken away then I would be able to have joy. God doesn't ask us to pick between one or the other. He actually assures us that we will have both. When Christmas comes, when Christ comes, joy breaks into the winter and into our lives of pain and it brings life. 
brings hope, it brings peace, it brings love, it brings all of these things that are not just token words this time of year. This is really the substance of, of what Christ is, of who he is. It is the character and substance and nature of what he has come to, to give us in its fullness. Joy is not the absence of suffering. Rather, here is what joy is. Joy is not the absence of suffering. Joy is the result of the assurance of God's love and care, no matter our circumstances in life. Joy is not just an inward feeling of a glad heart for a life well lived. Joy is not looking at our life and saying, God, you have done good things to me. Thank you for the bless hashtag blessings that have come to my life. That is not the basis of joy. Joy has a cause. It's rooted in the fact that God looked at the world that he created. He looked at the world he created. He sees you in your sin and your suffering, and he loves you enough to come and to give you something more wonderful that you could even comprehend with your own heart and mind. He has come to give you communion with himself, the same kind of communion that Jesus enjoys with the God the Father is the kind of communion that you and I enjoy with him as well. You can't even comprehend that. You can't even feel that. You can't even understand it to its fullness. But the Bible says that one day we will fully know as we are fully known. Our eyes will be opened, the veil will be lifted, the scales will be ripped off our eyes, the eyes of our heart, and we will feel and know the fullness for which we were created. And no substance of sin, no presence of grieving, no ounce of tears in our eyes, and we will just have full communion with Jesus. We long for that day. We wait for that day. We still are in a season of Advent, but there is something that has already come. Advent has already come. The coming has arrived. That which was from the beginning has been made known to us. And we can touch him and know him and feel him. We can live with him. And we can have joy that is complete, even in the presence of sin and wickedness and grieving in the world. We can have it now. We long for its completion. We love for its full manifestation. But we can live in the present with a future, a knowledge of what the future holds. We live in present reality. The future has come. The eternal has arrived. The future is here. He is eternal life. Our experiences must never determine in our hearts who God is or what he is like. And we act like that a lot because what we are going through, we say, well, God, you must be like this. Our experiences should never determine who God is or what he is like. Rather, God always speaks into our experiences and reminds us that he is life. How does God do this? How does he speak into our experiences? How does he remind us of this joy? How does he give us this joy? Well, it happens through the ordinary routines of our day. God at Christmas breaks into our routines and brings us the great cause for our joy. Think about this. Remember the shepherds? We've talked about the shepherds. You remember the shepherds keeping watch over the sheep in the middle of the night. And what does God do? He brings in a message in the midst of their routine. They're just working and they're doing the same thing they have done for years on end. And God breaks into their routine and, off and gives them a message of joy. And they said, this is so awesome that this message has come. We don't have to be shepherds anymore. No, they don't say that, do they? I bet that night after their jubilee, they, they look at one another and say, oh my goodness, who's watching the sheep? And they go back 
And they go back to being shepherds. They go back to that hill that they have been at for years on end. Every single night, they go to the same hill. They wake up on the same hill and graze on the same hill. They go to sleep on the same rock where they lay their head. They continue to be shepherds. God's goodness and his good news of great joy does not pull us out of our life of routine, but in fact, it sends us back into our life of routine with a new perspective, a new power, a new hope, a new identity, a new life that we have living within us. And you may feel the answer for your joy is actually you being taken out of your routine. God, life is just so mundane. It's so daily. That's the hardest thing about life, isn't it? That it's so daily. <laughs> it just it happens every day. <laughs> it's the hard thing about a lot of things in life, that it's so daily. The message of joy breaks into their routine and changes them forever. The angels shout, I bring you good news of great joy. The message is really a message of the gospel, that God initiates with us in our lives to give us joy, sends us back into our lives to live as new people. The gospel does not take us out of routine. It gives us a reason to have joy within our routine, within the daily grind, within the daily grieving, within the daily frustrations of the ordinary life. God gives us now a reason and a hope to experience the fullness of his joy. The shepherds remain shepherds, but now they are shepherds who, are, who know that they are loved. You may be unemployed, but you are joyfully unemployed as one who Jesus died for. You are burdened by responsibility, but you may be burdened as one who is accepted by the God who was from the beginning. You are confused as to what to do next in your life or what you ought to do, but you are confused. You may be confused as one whose, whose life is in the hands of a God who knows the future, has planned the future, and will see us through who is faithful. Jesus was a man of indestructible joy, but also a man of sorrow. What greater example to have the existence of suffering and joy all at once than in Jesus Christ? He was called a man of sorrow, well acquainted with grief. And we also know that he was also called a man of joy. Are you tired? Are you tired, tired because of the routine? Jesus was tired too. Are, are you, are, have you been betrayed? Have you been hurt? Jesus was betrayed, he was hurt. Have, are, have you been lonely? Are you lonely today, longing for communion? Jesus longed for this as well. So much to the point where he hangs on the cross and the only real fellowship he had with God the Father, he hangs on the cross and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was alone. He was mocked, he was forsaken, he was disrespected. There's a short book by John Piper called Seeing and Savoring Jesus. And in chapter four, there's always been this quote that has just struck me. It's stuck with me. It's re I've, I've remembered it after years of reading it. And he just says this. He says, Jesus was complex, but he was not confused. You're, there was a lot going on with Jesus. He was betrayed. He was hurt. He was God. He was human. He was eternal. He, was, uh, he, he, he died he, he literally died. He rose from... There was a lot of things going on with Jesus. I'm a man of sorrow. I'm a man of joy. I was from eternity past. I was born on this day. But he was never confused. He was never confused about who he was, about the glory that was awaiting him. He was never confused about what he came to do. 
And that's why he was able to say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. This is a complex verse. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You agree that's complicated, but it's not confusing. He endured the cross that you and I deserve so that we would have the joy that he fought for. That's what it means. We don't need to be confused by what this means. He endured the cross that you and I deserve so that we would have the joy that he fought for. Remember at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of a man of sorrow who is also a man of joy. And here's where it all ties together. It ties together in the final verse. If we hope to have this kind of joy at Christmas in our lives, any time of the year, we must have Jesus. Not a different routine, not a different job, not a different spouse, not different children. We must have Jesus. He is the source of the fullness of our joy. The source of our joy is complete fellowship with him. It's knowing that which, that which was from the beginning has been, has been made known to us and we can know him. It's what we are created to have. And so Christmas reminds us that the source of our joy is, is never horizontal. Do you know what I mean by that? It's never others. It's never people or places or accomplishments, but it's always vertical. The basis and source of our joy is always vertical. It's always with God. And that means when the season of joy, when Christmas is over, we, we can go back to our lives filled with the routine and filled with the chaos and filled with frustration and never lacking in joy that God gives. Christmas declares that Jesus is joy, that Jesus is life. He, his love is our joy. His holiness is our joy. His accomplishments are our joy. His forgiveness is our joy. His patience is our joy. You know when you go down the aisle at Costco and there's samples? I mean, let's talk about joy for a second, right? So you know when they're, when they're giving away like half of hamburgers. <laughs> and I always, I'll always take a sample and I always stay there for a moment because if something's going to come, they're going to say something. You know what they're going to say. They're going to tell you where to find the rest of it, right? Here's a little sample. You can find it in aisle 123 in the you know, midsection of the shelf, right? So I always stay there. I never go and get it, right? <laughs> I never actually go get the full thing, but I just want to know, you're going to tell me, because to give me the sample is not enough. It's pointless to give you a sample. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that. Have a great day. Here's a sample. Here's a taste. Do you want to know where the rest of it is? This is what's happening. That's why we wait for it. That's why they tell it where to find it. The sample's a bite, but the sample's not the point. Sometimes I go there just for the samples, but that's not the point why we should go there. We go there to get the whole thing. It's just the beginning, this is just the beginning. What we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched, what we have known in Christ, it is just the beginning. And the point is not just have this sentimental feeling of joy. The point is to have the whole thing. The point is to be told where we find it all. We find it in Christ. Perfect fellowship with Jesus and one another is still imperfect. If you come into church and say, well, things are still broken and hurting, of course they are. We have yet to, 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 be fu fully, to fully know how we have been fully known. We have yet to see him with our own eyes. We have yet to touch him. We have yet to have sin uh, taken out of our life completely. We're still waiting for that fullness. Of course, people hurt. Of course, it's incomplete and imperfect. But John heard it and he saw it and he touched the eternal. Christmas means that Jesus went to incredible lengths to make himself known to us, to be with us, to save us. Christmas happened ultimately so that we would have joy, fullness of joy. It is yours today. It is yours today if you know Jesus. Good news of great joy. Let's pray.